Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Yeah, all right. Well, it's 10. So <laughs> we can go ahead and start. Yeah, so just uh, allowing your eyes to close. Good morning. So just recalling your intention for practice. And really connecting with this intention in an embodied way. Our intention is everything. It's definitely everything that we can control. Everything else is dependent, arising. It's interdependent. It's in flux. Really paying attention to intention. And seeing what it's like to focus on the part of your intention that is altruistic. And if you send out, send that intention out to the benefit of all beings, really feel that connection. Sometimes it's nice to think that all beings are on your side. When your intention is opened up to benefit the greater whole. And lastly, see if you can feel effort for practice just from your intention. Is there energy there? Some zeal, some motivation.
And then next, contemplating refuge. And allowing this to be embodied as well. What does it mean to you to take refuge? The Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. Taking refuge in these inner qualities as you turn inward. What does this mean in practice for you? And moving towards the energy of kindness just by thanking, paying homage to all these beautiful lineages, all the teachers, all the masters of all times, all religions, your personal teachers, those that have given up so much some have even given up their life. For the benefit of all beings, to keep the teachings alive, that relieve suffering. Just giving thanks, opening up to gratitude. And then seeing if you can continue this by simply meeting the moment with gentleness.
Maybe seeing if you can meet the body with gentleness. Body, the body sensations. Meeting the body with kindness. And part of this gentleness is simply listening, being awake and aware, listening to the body. And then just thinking of how kind it is to give attention to the body. It does so much for us. Just listening, does it need anything? Is it trying to say anything? having compassion for the body.
And we are beings that feel. So maybe bringing some gentleness to the emotional body, listening, opening, just giving kind attention to the pleasant, the unpleasant, the neutral. So offering the gentleness of attention it's non-judgmental, open, and at ease.
Yeah, next, turning the attention towards the mind. We're also beings that think. And sometimes this thinking can turn to worry, concerns. hope and fear, and of course, joyous things as well. We're just seeing if you could hold the mind and the mental formations with gentleness, giving them a soft place to land then seeing what it's like to abide in the gentleness itself. As the gentleness meets the mind.
And finally, we are simply conscious beings. So maybe releasing the attention on the contents of the consciousness itself and seeing if we can rest in essence mind with sense of gentleness. And then maybe just simply noticing the innate gentleness when we allow everything to come and go. And then just rest in this moment as it is.
Welcome. Happy Sunday. Happy Fourth of July. <laughs> Although there's a lot tied up in that too. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I thought it'd be fun today to to speak on and actually share from the wisdom of Atisha. Atisha was born, I believe, like 958, if I remember correctly. And Atisha is known to be, yeah, just this amazing figure in Buddhism. And at the time, he was really instrumental in succinctly combining all the knowledge of the different traditions of Buddhism up to that point in a very succinct way. And for those of you that are familiar with Lama Samkhapa, who founded the Gelug tradition of Tibetan Buddhism, you know, really, which is, of course, you know, the, the, the Dalai Lama is ahead of, of that tradition. He sourced, Lama Samkhapa sourced a lot of his material from Atisha, who kind of was the first one to outline what is come to known as the Lam Rem or the gradual path. And again, it's this uh, kind of succinct way to really categorize the teachings and move through the teachings. Um, there's no easy way to do that. So, you know, these works seem to be very, they, they're very vast, but, you know, Atisha, was this amazing practitioner, um, like a Mahasiddha, and then an amazing scholar like Lama Samkhapa. You know, they said a, Lama Samkhapa was this amazing scholar, but he was an amazing practitioner so much so that I think they said, he, they think he did it, Lama Samkhapa did uh, one million prostrations. He did so many prostrations. You probably heard the story that he literally wore down the stone in his cave. It's still there. You can see he did so many prostrations that the stone is, is worn down. Um, he was actually doing prostrations on stone too, which is <laughs> a whole nother thing. Cause you know, when it's done now, it's heavily padded, you know, you do a prostration, you land on these pads and all that. But anyway, Atisha was like this too. And what I like about Atisha's teachings, although they, they are very vast and they're very simple, and it's something that we could all relate to today. And so the things that I was gonna share and maybe you know, we can go into breakout rooms actually and just take some of these things and contemplate them is that they're just so, they're so simple and they're, they're so relatable to everyday life and, in today's times and i and i love that I, I love looking at something that is so old and so ancient and so relatable because it points to it points to everything that dharma is about it points to 
samsara and the nature of samsara in the way that Buddhism points to it. And it also points to our innate Buddha nature. And that, yeah, both of these are just, you know, very similar. Doesn't matter what kind of time period that you're in. So there's the same issues, uh, same problems and the same antidotes. You know, it got me thinking of, you know, that gets me thinking of where we live in our minds. You know, so pointing to Atisha's teaching and how ancient it is and how relatable it is. It's the qualities of mind. So sitting and looking within and noticing these qualities of mind, these, these qualities of mind are ancient. You know, it's, never, it's never ending, it's never, never changing, these, these innate positive qualities of mind that we have as humans, we've always had access to them but we rarely ever access, um, even though we have access to them, we rarely ever do it. But if we do, it's there, it's been there forever. And then, you know, so it's coming up to me kind of a personal thing and just in my life and is constantly seeing the same type of suffering over and over and over again. Um, it's just a, a, a product of, of sharing, sharing Dharma and, and seeing suffering um, a lot. And the suffering is, it looks on the surface, you know, different people are suffering in, in different ways. It's always the same though. It's always attachment to the external. It's always being caught up in the external. And that external, if we break it down, it's empty from its own side, you know? So it's this, this innate classical wrong view of not seeing things as they are. And like we've been going over in our emptiness class, not recognizing that what we see on the outside is actually experienced inwardly by our minds. And yet we're not paying attention to, uh, to, the, to, to noticing this. We're not noticing that if things are empty from their own side outside of ourselves, the actual generation of that, that image in the mind and therefore our experience of it is, is all in the mind, then the diffusion of that suffering is an inward issue, right? It's in the mind. So we can de deconstruct, you know, whatever suffering is arising, we deconstruct that in, in ourselves inwardly, right? But there is so much uh, evolution, so much momentum in solving things outside of ourselves. You know, our culture is just fascinated with this, fascinated with trying to control uh, uh, the uncontrollable to control outside circumstances to control our lives in, in, in this way control people and circumstances environments you know the political environment all of this stuff there's so much emphasis 
on outside. So little emphasis on the internal states of mind. Like when we mine the mind, you know, like a miner getting, getting gems from the earth or getting minerals from the earth or whatever. You know, what is there in the mind when we look at it? And there's so much testimony throughout time that points to the excellence, the, uh, the beauty, the natural radiance, uh, the peace, the tranquility that is always available when we do that. And then there's so much evidence that points to the suffering when we depend on the external. And still we choose, so often, we choose to remedy life's problems by trying to fix something outside. So when we look at these, these teachings from the masters of the past, and we see, again, you know, these same issues coming up and the same beautiful mind coming up, you know, that could really add to our faith uh, to um, move inward all the time. So, yeah, I thought it'd be fun. Let's see how this works out with the whole copy and paste thing. What I did was I selected a few verses. Oh, this is a, one other thing. I just I saw a note that I wrote to myself. Um, are you guys, is most uh, everybody familiar with, with augmented reality, like AR? Do you, do you know what that is? Augmented reality? No, some yes, some no. So augmented reality is, um, is basically just a digital overlay on real life, right? So if uh, they've done it in sports for a long time, if you ever watched like NFL, well, they'll put the first, the, um, you know, to get a first down, you need to make it to this yard line. So what they need, what they do is they put a yellow strip on the screen. And so that yellow strip represents the first down where they need to go to the first down. That's, that's a, a augmented reality. There was a big uh, social media craze. Well, I don't know, social media craze. It was a craze, Pokemon Go. This is a few years ago. And basically you have an app, right? You have an app on your phone and it's showing the view of the real world, just whatever you're looking at. But on your app, there's a digital um, character that would show up in the environment that you're looking at, right? So you might be looking at a, your front yard. There might be a tree, you know, your actual yard, but there'll be like a little fairy or a little character on your screen, right? So that's a digital overlay. So I was looking at this company today and they are, they create in NFTs, it's a whole thing. You know, you probably know NFTs now, they're becoming a thing, but there's NFTs are something you could, you know, purchase for digital realities, you know, um, 
but anyway, they're digital products. So what they're doing is they're creating like shoes and attire and really like fantastic kind of like sci-fi attire and whatnot that you can buy. And when somebody looks at this, looks at you in real life through an app, you might look like a wizard because you're going to be able to dress yourself digitally that day. And you might have on these really space age shoes, or again, you might be a fairy or something. You might be whatever you want, right? And so when people look at you with an app, they're going to see this overlay, this digital overlay of you in whatever you want to make yourself to be, right? And anyway, I'm, I'm bringing that up because we do this anyway. <laughs> we take our essence, right? And we go into the world and we put on not only our physical clothes, but we put on our character, right? We put on these personality traits we put on, we kind of glob on, you know, to ourselves. And then when we look at something, we're looking at not only the something, but our entire overlay on top of it. Like we look at the whole world like that, right? We look at the world, not just as it is, but with all of our beliefs and concepts and memories and, you know, the, the good and bad and the judgments and all of that stuff. So we're overlaying on, on top of reality. And I, I think it's interesting how uh, kind of the, the digital era and the virtual reality and the video games, they mimic what we do with samsara. You know, uh, we're already doing all of this stuff with samsara. There's already escapism. There's already fantasy. You know, there's already... Um, you know, wanting to, to make up something out of nothing. You know, it's like, it's like our tendency to continue to do this. Um, again, instead of turning inward <laughs> and just looking at our assets, we kind of keep making up new ways to, uh, to make ourselves anew. So yeah, anyway, I just thought that was a good analogy of what we do with our everyday lives. Like we adorn it with so much other stuff, right? All the time. So yeah, it's a funny example. <laughs>